Rural hospitals work to provide as much specialty care to their patients as possible, keeping residents local for more than just primary care. But when a specialty care provider leaves town, retires, or otherwise stops practicing in their community, the whole service line may collapse, leaving that hospital and its patients without access to important care. So how do rural hospitals bring back and then keep specialty care that has previously left their community? With careful research, provider partnerships, and a focus on long-term sustainability. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 39 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So this week we're talking about specialty care and how rural hospitals can bring back services and service lines that may have left their community for one reason or another. That's right. We have a return guest this week who has been instrumental in bringing inpatient pulmonology services back to Hillsdale Hospital, a service we had previously that we are so excited to have again. That's right. And our guest today is Nicole Mayer, Chief Strategy Officer for Hillsdale Hospital and also President and CEO of the Mayer Group. Welcome back to Rural Health Rising, Nicole. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with both of you once again. Thanks for having me. Nicole, since we last had you on the show, you have a new little addition in your introduction. Um, So our listeners have heard your basic intro and background before. So why don't you just give us a brief refresher on that, but then tell us about the Mayor Group. Thanks, Rachel. So as many of you know, I'm a former healthcare executive here in Southeast Michigan, as well as a logistics executive um, running ambulance service companies, as well as mobile integrated health opportunities. Um, What I've done is formally put together my consulting group um, known as the Mayor Group. So there were a lot of things that I was doing in consulting um, and just decided that this is truly my niche and where I want to be. I really want to try to help grow a lot of the solutions uh, surrounding rural health care, hospital readmissions, and be able to implement strategic planning solutions. So uh, I did formalize the mayor group and uh, am very excited to to grow that company and bring some of my phenomenal uh, rock stars who I've worked with in the past into into the space to try to help make a difference in rural healthcare. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now we do this on every episode of our podcast, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So Nicole, What is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Well, JJ and Rachel, there's a few things that get me out of bed. Um, Most of all, I have three boys and getting out of bed really inspires me to make the world a better place for them. Um, The other is really being able to give back and using the gifts that I've been given to make a positive impact. Um, And that is absolutely surrounding uh, high quality patient care. Nicole, last time you were here, we talked about strategy for rural hospitals from more of a macro perspective. But today we're going to look at one specific instance of how that plays out in the real world um, here in Hillsdale, actually. But to start this conversation, first, we need JJ to give us the history. So, JJ, let's go back several years ago to a time when Hillsdale Hospital had inpatient pulmonology. And then we didn't. So what's the story there? So is this like a Star Wars episode here? A time before? Well, you know, there was a time and it was a very successful time uh, at the history of our hospital and for our community in which we had pulmonary services, uh, both inpatient and outpatient. And then there was a disconnect. Uh, Unfortunately, there was a series of events that occurred 
uh, that resulted in the pulmonologist no longer providing coverage here. Uh, and pulmonology is very difficult to recruit. Uh, so it became very difficult for us to have pulmonologists consulting, coming in, conducting uh, daily rounds, uh, and engaging in that activity uh, as we once had enjoyed. So patients, unfortunately, were being diverted uh, to other communities and other areas and not being kept here at the hospital. That was a very major concern of mine when I took over as chief executive officer to identify a way to get this service back. Not in the traditional manner in which we knew it, uh, but to also look for new partners, partners who were bold, uh, partners who were going to work with us, partners who were caring and kind, and we found them. Uh, and we were very, very fortunate to get Dr. Patton and his group uh, out of the Jackson area uh, here as outpatient first. And what has transpired since then is really a, a work of love from Nicole, uh, working with me and our team here to get this service on the inpatient side, uh, which was my number one goal, as you recall, in my growth strategy that I launched back last June uh, when I took over and really identifying for the board what my top priorities are, keeping patients here. Uh, ensuring that patients have the proper amount of care here locally so they're not traveling across the state of Michigan or other places to get that care. And there's really no need. We can serve those patients. And I'm so excited to be talking about this today. And we will talk about how we've brought it back. But I just want you to know the history of it was that it was very successful. Uh, largely in part because we had that rounding that was done by the pulmonologist mm -hmm. on the floor, different times, different hours, and calling them. And so what we witnessed grow from the outpatient side, we knew that we had a, a market with this community of patients who wanted a different option for pulmonology. And so we were able to capitalize on that and so excited uh, to be able to bring this here to Hillsdale Hospital once again. Okay, so that happened. How many years ago would you say that pulmonology had left from you the inpatient side? Yeah, I would say six, six, seven years ago. Okay, so now it's 2021. Inpatient pulmonology, like you said, is back at Hillsdale Hospital, but it didn't just happen overnight. <laughs> you mentioned it was a, a quite a labor of love for Nicole. So, Nicole, what was the first, do you remember the first conversation you had with JJ about the idea of bringing back inpatient pulmonology? How did that come up? I do, Rachel. Um, JJ and I were just having some conversations about opportunities and, and really he was very clear in his mission to keep care close to home and to take care of our own. And so we began looking at services that we weren't able to provide to the patients in our community, um, one of which was inpatient pulmonology. There was also a lot of opportunity to grow pulmonology in the outpatient space. So we began looking at the specifics behind uh, the why, why we were sending patients out of our county. And really, that's just that's just where everything began. You know, Nicole, I, I remember those conversations and really just looking at the uh, outpatient and inpatient data, which I, I think, you know, when you can speak to this. Uh, probably more fluently than anyone can because you're looking at strategy all the time. You're looking at the numbers. You just can't bring a service line back in because you want it, right? I mean, we're looking at data. You want to just explain a little bit about some of the data points that we were looking at with this? Sure, absolutely. So we assessed the need and the want as well as the feasibility. And, and there's so many factors that go into all of those items. Uh, we began looking at data on disease specifics such as diagnosed cases at Hillsdale Hospital and compared it to the incidents overall for the actual county. Um, once we determined that there was significant opportunity 
we started mapping out a robust plan for care with key physician partners and equipment. Um, so that's where we began. Um, once we determined this need, we assessed our provider landscape in implementing or growing any service line, physician buy-in and passion for community health is critical. And along these processes, we had a lot of communication with our physicians and with our partners to assess and confirm this need. Absolutely. And that I think is so critical when you look at a service line, you, you know, I, I have a lot of dreams, passions, and goals. And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, we have to make sure that they align with the organizational goals, the strategic plan, that they have a performa that will provide financial performance for the hospital. And if not, how long will it take to have a return on our investment? Those are all very important strategies when looking at bringing a new service here. What we knew going into this, Rachel, was that it was it was effective before. We knew that a population in Hillsdale County had suffered uh, these chronic illnesses uh, for quite some time. We know that these individuals were now being diverted in communities across Michigan, specifically into the Coldwater Market, the Jackson Market, and other places, which just it's inappropriate. Well, and what happens typically when they end up going out for specialty care? They never come back. Right. You know, when we see those patients go out, uh, they are captured in that market. Uh, they're integrated into that market. You, it's not like you can just go there and say, I'm keeping all of my information private and I'm just here to get this one service. No, you're integrated into their system. Mm-hmm. And so we found that to be the case. There are, there, there was some, uh, one, not only out migration, but also, you know, there was some patients that were going over to those communities for regular services and really stepping away from their primary care here. And that was very concerning. Mm-hmm. And when we did inquiries and talked with our patients and their families, it was because of the convenience of it, right? They were over there already. They were getting that care. They were being hospitalized in that hospital because of, uh, you know, certain things, COPD or whatever it is. And so we identified we we must get this back for our patients. And to that end, you know, it was a hope, but hope's not a strategy. And right. and so we knew that we wanted to establish it, and we were really just at ground zero because we were brand new with this group. Uh, we had their experience from the outpatient side, but really not a lot of experience from their patient side. And then, you know, Nicole and I had a chance to have some conversations with the hospitalist, and uh, I'll let Nicole explain that just a little bit better. But, you know, Nicole, maybe for our listeners, you know, how did – when we looked at this – to ensure that it was going to be sustainable. You know, can you talk a little bit about that and about some of the relationships that you played uh, in this with our hospitalist and some others? Absolutely. So one factor at Hillsdale Hospital that is just so important is the strength that the hospitalists bring. We have a very strong physician group there, and they are very committed and interested in making sure that patients are are taken care of at Hillsdale. Um, Relationships is something that's very important whenever you um, bring on any new service line or growing any service line. And so having a lot of conversations with our providers you know, really um, digging deep into what concerns they had, um, benefits of 
said relationship and then helping to foster those relationships, I think is just very important. Um, you and Rachel were a great part of a lot of that process. We were able to get these doctors together and just really watch the relationships um, take off. Um, something that's also so important is, is really education. And so that education for not only the patients, but also the providers. And so we've done a lot of work too in that space with our referring physicians uh, making sure that they know that we do have um, inpatient pulmonology services, but that we're doing a lot to grow the programs and services related to, uh, let's say, lung nodule, uh, lung nodule screening and such. You know, Nicole, also, so that's the inpatient side. We're talking with the hospitalist. We're having meaningful dialogue with people like Dr. Shooker, mm -hmm. uh, who is fantastic, by the way. Let's just take a, a side note here. Uh, you know, you've worked with many hospitals programs in your career, and I want you to be honest, candid. Um, would you venture to say that Hillsdale is pretty much the best hospitals program uh, that you've seen, having worked with Dr. Shooker and Dr. Sheth and team? No problem. Yes, absolutely. Hands down. I know that you and I have talked about this before, but they truly are a team. Um, you're able to to really have that that high quality, uh, passionate buy in from them. Uh, and they are really willing to go above and beyond and make sure that patients are getting the care that they need, um, even if it's in partnership with uh, with other providers, um, including providers that offer telehealth services. So the initial conversations that I had with them was absolutely uh, can-do, can-do attitude, and um, just absolute quality. You know, Nicole, I think also for the hospitalists, for, for an inpatient pulmonology program to work effectively, you have to have the inpatient hospitalists working hand-in-hand. And I think one of the things that you have been able to do is bring teams together. I've watched it. I've witnessed it through dinners, lunches, conversations. And so, you know, so we have the inpatient side. The hospitalists must have a good relationship with pulmonologists. Ours do. Uh, just just this last week, uh, we had a consultation here uh, inpatient. Uh, the hospitalist, Dr. Shooker, called in uh, our pulmonologist. They saw six patients in one day within a span of about three hours, and we were able to keep those patients here. Wow. That's incredible. That's exactly what we were after. Keep the patients here, local, where families know and trust us. And that relationship is so important that the hospitalists trust those specialty care providers, whether it's ENT, whether it's neurologist, or whether it is now pulmonologist. And that relationship is so critical. But Nicole, talk to us a little bit about, all right, so you have the inpatient set, the the pulmonologists are coming in, uh, they're doing the rounding, they're consulting, they're talking with the physicians, our APPs. Now it's more than just inpatient. How do we reach and how did we reach the external physicians in our community, the independent doctors in our community that maybe were not employed by Hillsdale Hospital, but they certainly have a vested interest in keeping patients here, right? Why don't you explain a little bit about how we tackled that issue? Uh, great points, JJ. So part of a uh, a partnership that is successful in caring for patients really has to, it surrounds trust and having trust in some of the physicians that are within the group. And so our referring physicians, our primary care physicians have to have faith that we are going to do a great job of not only taking care of the patients, but in communicating and, and following up. And so in launching our lung nodule programs, 
you know, there's a lot that goes into it between the pulmonologists and the radiologists, the surgeons, the oncologists, and the primary care physicians. So it's a multidisciplinary approach to patient care. It's absolutely critical. And the basis for everything that we do is really based in relationships. And so what we've done uh, to ensure that our Patients and physicians know that we have robust in and outpatient pulmonology services, and we, we have plans to do much more. As you mentioned, we've hosted physician uh, meetings, face-to-face meetings, uh, virtual me- meetings. You kind of you kind of like face to face, don't you, Nicole? I love face. You like to get people in a I room. Do. So, so something very interesting, uh, Rachel. When we were at uh, the place where we attended this event, Nicole comes over to me, and we're kind of standing really in a, in a view where we could see the whole room. And she goes, "I love it. This is where it happens. <laughs> see those groups over there talking. See that group over there talking." And she'd go pull one over. I think that's the really the opportunity to get face to face. We kind of miss that. During COVID, obviously, mm-hmm. lost some of that communication. But what I witnessed uh, really that day, that night at that dinner was powerful. So I think, you know, to interject, and I, and I don't want to cut you off, but to interject that point, you know, we really love to see teams come together and you've done a great job at, at doing that. Thank you. Well, without your support, we couldn't do any of this. And and as you saw, the the teams just, just absolutely just blended Uh, The nursing teams were there. I want the nurses to also feel that they can contact a physician at any point. And when you have a relationship with someone, it's much easier to approach them. And who does that benefit? It benefits our patients. So, you know, a nurse that has a comfortable relationship with a physician is going to be more apt to talk about any of the concerns that she has with that patient. So I was very happy to, to see all that unfold. And There's a few things, too, that when I mention trust, we also have to give the physicians and the patients the tools that they need. And so some of that is um, Rachel and I working hand in hand. uh, We created and implemented a screening tool for the primary care physician offices, and we're really excited about that. We did roll it out that night at our physician dinner, and um, we're continuing to get that out into the community. I know that Rachel, uh, she can speak to this, but there's a couple things that we're doing to really, you know, highlight a lot of these programs. Right. And one of the things that, you know, having inpatient pulmonology is important, but it's just one piece of the overall continuum of care. So for our providers in the community, our referring physicians, we want pulmonology at Hillsdale Hospital to be top of mind for them, but their patients may not need inpatient right this minute. So making sure that they're aware of those other parts of the continuum, the outpatient services that their patients are going to be accessing and needing more frequently helps to keep us top of mind for those referring physicians. Um, So the lung nodule screening program is a perfect example of that. Um, Nicole, you put together amazing content and and really a, a very simple tool for physicians to be able to use to have that conversation and have the shared decision making with their patients um, to make sure that they can get into the pulmonologist um, to have a program for their screening um, for the low-dose CT screenings so that they can monitor their lung health over time and catch lung cancer early. Um, I know you're very passionate about that. I think we might have talked about that on our last episode with you. Um, But catching those kinds of things early makes the biggest difference. And making sure that our referring physicians are very engaged in that process with their own patients and that they're using a screening tool that we have provided to them that says Hillsdale Hospital, this is the phone number for our pulmonology office, 
um, they can use that. And it really makes it simple for them to have that conversation with their patients and makes the handoff very easy into our pulmonology group. Um, So in addition to that, we also, of course, are making sure our community is aware of what we have available um, and doing some community education on cancer screening in general not just lung cancer screening, but this is a perfect example of how the need and the approach for one service line really can impact several other areas of healthcare and services that patients need because that can kind of be the the lung cancer screening program is kind of a jumping off point for other screening programs in general. We just got a new mammogram. um, So that has been something we've been focusing on. So it gives us a good opportunity in more of a, a big picture way to communicate to our patients and our residents here in Hillsdale County, hey, if you're this age and have these health conditions, these are the kind of screenings you need. This is how often you're going to need them. If you're this age with these conditions, this is what you need. Um, So that's kind of our next step is developing what's that big picture screening program for cancer overall for our community so people kind of have their own little checklist of what they need to do to keep track of their own health. Yeah, and you know, this is a passion point for Nicole as well. Always has been for me in any industry I've ever served, early detection is early prevention. Mm -hmm. Now, whether we're talking about detecting behaviors early on to prevent, you know, any type of activities in the future or in healthcare when you migrate that over, if you detect it early enough, you can treat it uh, and the opportunity for survival is much higher and the opportunity to get, you know, the proper care you need is much greater. And so, you know, one of the things that that we've really preached here at Hillsdale Hospital is the importance of regular mammograms, you know, ensuring that you're getting your testing, your colonoscopies. These are all very important things. Uh, these are things that if not done in the manner in which they should on a timely basis, you know, they can lead to poor outcomes for the patient. The longer they wait, the more they're having problems, the the worse it's going to be. So, Nicole, you know, you, you have spent your entire life you know, you've worked at cancer centers, you've built cancer centers, you know, really of this concept of early detection is early prevention. And in pulmonology, obviously getting to that patient early on, I think is important as well. Uh, setting up, you know, regimens for them, getting them into a breathers club, all types of activities that can happen. But you want to just talk to our listeners today about the importance of early detection? Absolutely. Thank you so much, JJ. Uh, for those of you that know, this is very personal for me. I actually was a radiation therapist in the 90s. I trained at Oakland University and William Beaumont Hospital. And I lost both my parents at age 52 and 53 to cancer. I have family members right now that are really fighting um, their battle with cancer. And it's really my personal mission to try to help people uh, obtain screening. And so there's a lot of barriers when it comes to screening. And the three of us are working on some really amazing initiatives to get Hillsdale County screened on every facet. And really, some of the barriers are fear. Um, And I encourage you, you know, talk to your providers about this. If you're afraid of getting a cancer diagnosis, don't put off. Do not put off the screening because the sooner that it's caught, the better outcomes you have. There are so many phenomenal treatments that are taking place right now. There's so much research that's been done. And there are new life-saving therapies such as immunotherapy. There's molecular testing for cancer. And there's a lot of things that Hillsdale Hospital is doing right now to partner with larger organizations to bring oncology care uh, close to home. And we'll be, we'll be explaining a lot of those in the future. But really, we encourage you to talk to your physician and realize that um, don't put these screenings off. You know, COVID has really put people um, behind in their screenings. I encourage all of you to call today and get your appointments 
you know, gentlemen, the, the PSA is a simple blood test, but it's not just about the number, it's about the trend and it's trended data, just like mm-hmm. the lung nodule screening program is. So, so please, we're here to help support you and uh, help, help uh, keep you healthy. One of the things, too, about this that I think is really important is that often rural Americans are at a disadvantage when it comes to cancer screening and treatment, Um, less likely to have screenings early, less likely to have those frequently just because of the limitations of healthcare access in rural communities. Um, And so this really is it's not just a, a human issue, but it's specifically a rural issue because rural Americans are just predispositioned essentially um, to struggle with this more than others, which makes it, I think, even more important for us to focus on that. Um, now, yeah, you know, I, Rachel, to your point, uh, very good point, you know, as our listeners across the country hear this and this is this is where it gets rule. Right. Because, you know, we're we're in a communities uh, serving those communities where, you know, there's not a lot of uh, healthy insurance mix. Mm-hmm. You know, you do not have your commercial insurance. You have a lot of Medicaid, a lot of Medicare uh, and a lot of that are still, believe it or not, uninsured. Right. And even in my own family, a situation where a family member of mine was uninsured, uh, she had a growth. She neglected to have that looked at in a timely manner, mm-hmm. uh, and she was served with terminal cancer diagnosis uh, several years ago. And it's very, very difficult to sit back and watch that. And as as a human, you know, as a loved one, but then as a healthcare administrator, it gives me even more passion uh, to move this forward and to really impress upon our rural communities. This screening is so critical. If you're listening today and you are uh, an executive at a rural hospital. These are opportunities for you to really impact the health of your community. Uh, Having these screenings done early and often, uh, colonoscopies, mammographies, whatever it is, uh, these are very important to keep our communities healthy. And then for, you know, the health system itself, you can catch this early on. You can treat it. Uh, you know, there's diagnosis. Uh, and then you can put a, a great pathway together for the patient on how they can become well uh, before it's too late and they're just served with that terminal diagnosis. That's very difficult to hear. I think this really looking at these service lines, what can you bring in things like, uh, you know, screening and cancer care and all of those. This is where rural health rises, the theme of our podcast overall. This is how rural hospitals become more than just the group that's standing in the gap when patients need acute care. This is where rural hospitals can impact the health outcomes of their community long term and not just look at who is sick right now, but how do we keep people from being sick? How do we keep people out of the hospital um, and get them to the services that they need now, even when they don't necessarily know that they need them? And that's why the community education piece of it is so important. But this really gets to the mission of Rural Health Rising and our um, desire to advocate for rural health in America because rural Americans deserve this level of care. And uh, it's not right or appropriate for rural Americans to be disadvantaged just by the nature of where they live when it comes to their health and to only have access to sick care. We need to be providing well care also and making sure that that's a priority. And this is one of the ways that we do that. As as rural hospitals, Nicole, sometimes, you know, we're so overwhelmed 
certainly not operating with any profit margin anymore. It's most likely losses. Uh, We've said it before, over 130 hospitals since 2010 have closed in America. That's significant. Uh, There's a trend that this will continue. Uh, We're hearing that even an article that I read yesterday of more and more hospitals that by 2024 will be closed in America because of this issue of cost structure and reimbursement and fighting with insurance companies and all of those things. So when a rural hospital executive is listening to this podcast today and they say, you know what, we really need this service, Nicole, not only from your perspective, having worked healthcare, but also from the mayor group, uh, talk to us about how you would walk someone, an organization, executives through the process of determining, is this right for their community? And you've heard me say often, Nicole, we cannot be everything to everybody. Right. And we have to really focus on what are we good at. And and some things that we may have to do are things like psychiatric services, right? Mm-hmm. It's in loss. We know it's going to be a loss. But for those things that we do have some autonomy over, Nicole, walk us through what that looks like from a perspective of a consultant to a hospital. Absolutely, JJ. So there are many facets to the approach for strategy for rural healthcare. And one of them is really trying to identify where your needs are and how those needs can be met. Um, Identify the barriers to care. Um, As I said, you know, fear is one. Education is so important. Transportation is a barrier. Insurance is a barrier. Healthcare. And really partnering when needed with local organizations that are fantastic partners. And we happen to have one. And really, how do you partner with another organization that is not going to steal your patients, but actually return them home uh, once certain specialty care is provided? Identifying areas for opportunities such as telehealth, um, identifying um, resources and tools and equipment that are cutting edge where you can deliver certain services such as dialysis. You know, we are in the process of implementing dialysis at Hillsdale and Hillsdale hasn't had dialysis in 106 years. So really just trying to identify areas for opportunity and uh, working together with local partners, working with the providers and working with the patients to come up with solutions. Yeah, and we have to temper that. Obviously, my CFO thinks that, you know, oh, here comes JJ. You know, he's <laughs> spending all that money. He's got that consultant who smiles and she's kind and she's going to bring all these services here and Hotshire's going to get backing. Uh, so there's a balancing act. Obviously, you know, when you look at your cost structure, you you look at, you know, what we call performa. Can you, can you honestly, in a five-year stretch, have a return on your investment to pay for the service? And if you can't, what is your losses? Are they minimal, but you're still providing a necessary service? to your community. I think those are all important things. And and let me tell you something. If you're listening today, you can't do that alone. You need someone like Nicole Mayer. Uh, and I'm going to put a plug in for the Mayer Group. Uh, is phenomenal at coming into your organization, identifying strategies and ways in which you can deliver services like this to your community, whether it's pulmonology, dialysis, oncology, whatever it is. Uh, leave it to the experts who have walked down this road uh, dozens of times, who know the contacts, who know what the performance should look like, who know what the financials are, who can negotiate pricing, look at your equipment. You cannot do this alone. Uh, there's no way that CEOs uh, sitting 
being in the position that I am today with our overwhelming needs, just tackling the crisis of COVID alone, notwithstanding our other duties and responsibilities, do we have the time and dedication uh, to research vendors, to go after equipment, uh, to engage in these uh, insurance conversations, to look at the performance, and to build really a program? So I would encourage you, if you're listening today and you are thinking about for your community, we need that. We need that specialty to keep those patients in our hospital, to keep our hospital viable. Uh, I'd encourage you, and, and we'll have our contact information here in just a few minutes. Uh, you can reach out to Nicole Mayer with the Mayer Group, and she'll be more than glad to take you through that journey and to build that program for you. Thank you very much, JJ. Uh, for more information, you can visit themayorgroup.com. Well, before we close, Nicole, as you know, we like to do a fun segment with our guests, and you've been on this program before, so you may know what I'm going to ask you next. Um, but you do have to give us a different but answer. But it has this time. to be a different answer. <laughs> okay. So we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? This is a great question. And really, the sounds and sights in the country are like no other. The sounds of the rocks as they hit the undercarriage of your car as you drive down a dirt road. The sights of the corn blowing and bending in the wind and the beauty of the red barns and horses as you pass by is pure beauty and absolutely one of my favorite uh, memories and experiences of rural life. Wow. I think you just painted a Norman Rockwell picture for us. <laughs> that is that is very awesome and very true. Uh, the serenity of a rural community is pretty amazing. And I think that's something people can identify with, regardless of what rural part of the country they're in, because what you just described reminds me of the rural parts of Texas and, you know, areas I spent a lot of time in when I grew up. It reminds me of my commute here from Indiana to Michigan every day. Um, so I love that. That that imagery really does encompass that entire rural experience. It is. I encourage people to roll their windows down. You know, I was in town recently and I opened up my, my sunroof. There was a hawk flying above and it was just pure beauty, pure serenity. And it really brings you back to the purpose of what are we here for? What are the gifts we've been given and what are we doing to make a positive difference? Thanks again for joining us today, Nicole. It was great to have you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have a great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Nicole Mayer, Chief Strategy Officer for Hillsdale Hospital and President and CEO of the Mayer Group. For more interviews like this and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.